Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. If tales of compliance are right up your alley, make sure to hit the like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by Uranium Snail. Don't want to pay me overtime? I don't think that'll work the way you think it will. Background. Many years ago, I worked for a large multinational software hardware consulting place that you will have heard of. We'll call them employer. On this particular assignment, I was a small cog in a 300-plus person project to run many of the IT systems of a major telecoms company. My particular responsibility was application support for the customer care area. This covered an internal web app that the client's help desk used to look up customer details, do upgrades, refunds, address changes, etc., as well as the public FAQ website and the email ticketing system used to communicate with their customers. Most of the software was written by the around 15-person dev team that sat a few short steps away from my desk, who were largely great to work with. I joined just as the first very small release went live, and with each new release, they added more features and more help desk people. So at the start, there were two of us supporting this app, with the idea that as more releases and features were added and the workload increased, they would add more people to the team to help out. Workload increases, so after a few months, we've had the first two software releases. The number of users is ramping up and we're having more and more tickets to deal with. At this point though, the other guy on the team whispered in a few managers' ears and got transferred to one of the other work streams, but no one thought to replace him with anyone else. So now it was just me doing all the support by myself, which had the inevitable consequence of wait times for tickets going up. As an example, I had a very nice lady from one of the other support teams come over and politely ask me when I might get a chance to look at the ticket she's raised. The conversation went something like this. The polite lady said, Hi there, I have a question about a ticket assigned to you. OP said, Sure, what's the ticket number? She says, 123456. We need you to implement it before we can add some feature. Do you think you can look at it in the next few days? OP looks up the ticket and says, Ah, it's Sev3. Sev meaning severity, where Sev1 is a system outage, Sev2 is urgent but not critical, Sev3 is basically the default and Sev4 is nice to have. I then do some maths in my head, thinking of all the other things higher priority than a Sev3, and reply, four weeks. The polite lady gives a slightly stunned blank look. I say, that's if there's no Sev1 outages for the next month, and no one raises any more Sev2s. Oh, and we're averaging three Sev1s per week right now? The polite lady says, oh, is there anyone else I can talk to? I say, no, sorry, it's just me. That's why it takes four weeks. Polite lady then just wanders off. The reality, of course, is that I would never get to look at a Sev3, which I think she realized. On-call rota, since the Republic facing elements to the system, we also had an on-call rota in case of out-of-hours problems. 
There was a shared support phone, which I think was a Nokia 3310, whose ringtones still give me PTSD when I hear it. The rota consisted of me and the guy who left for the other team, as he still wanted to pull in some extra cash. You see, for all its failings, the company had a really good overtime setup, which included the on-call time. We'd alternate each week, starting on Monday evening, and then being on call for all the time we were not in the office until the following Monday. So if I was in the office for 8 hours, then I'd be on call for 16, then work for 8, back on call for 16, so doing a around 40 hour week, I'd be on call for about 128 hours. We'd get paid one quarter of our hourly rate for being on call, but then there's a bonus multiplier depending on if it's a regular work night, weekend, or bank holiday. So I was basically doubling my salary thanks to the on-call gravy train. I mean, the 2am callouts were not much fun, especially when you have to work for 5 hours to get the system back up again, then come back in the next day to deal with the fallout, but the money was good and I was young. I wasn't really doing much overtime other than the on-call and callouts, as when you're repeatedly called out in the middle of the night, you don't much feel like going the extra mile the rest of the time. I was doing enough that we rarely ever had an outage during the day, but didn't have time to do anything proactive or think about long-term improvements. I could only just keep my head above water. I think the number of Sev 2s was actually increasing over time, and dealing with a Sev 3 was only a dream. I'd occasionally have a meeting with one or three service managers I reported to, who'd moan a little about the number of old open tickets, but I'd just ask them what my priority should be, and they'd concede that I was doing the right thing. And yes, I reported to three managers, which worked about as well as you'd expect, but that's for another time. Email from management. I arrived to work one day, and I'm stopped by one of the support people from another team. The support person said, have you seen the announcement? I say, what announcement? They say, check your email. This happens at least three times before I've even got to my desk. I'm now intrigued and slightly fearful about what I might find. Has the project been canned? Are we going to get the project away day that's been rumored for months? My laptop has never taken so long to boot up, but when it does, the news is not good. Overtime payments are over. Starting in two months' time, all overtime will be compensated by time off in lieu. TOIL. Yeah, that acronym is apt. No more doubling of my salary. No more nice holidays. No more... Wait a second. I've just reached the bit where they explain how the amount of TOIL is calculated from the amount of overtime. That can't be right. I go to the spreadsheet I use to track my hours and start making some edits based on the email. Edits complete. I start trying out some numbers. Well, well, what do we have here? A plan is forming. The compliance. For the next month, I do just a little bit of overtime each day. Sometimes an hour, sometimes more. If we have a bad week for Sev 1s and callouts, then I don't do as much. But if we have a quiet week, then I'm staying after hours every night. A week or two into my new regime, I have a meeting with a service manager, and they're now a bit happier as the ticket queue has actually gone down for the first time in ages. I say nothing about the toil. And as the meeting's ending, they're actually surprised I didn't bring it up, as they've been getting an earful from all the other support people. I play it down and say that I haven't really thought about it yet, but I'm sure it'll be fine. The meeting ends with them thanking me about taking it so calmly. I just smile. After working like this for a month, it's now time for phase two of the plan. I book a meeting with one of the service managers and bring my laptop with the overtime spreadsheet. The meeting goes something like this. I say, I have some concerns about the upcoming toil change. 
Service manager, suddenly bored, says, Do you? What are they? I say, well, I track my hours in the spreadsheet so that it's easier to submit my overtime payments, and I thought I'd update it to support the new toil process. The service manager, slightly suspicious, says, okay. I say, well, if you look at my hours for the past month, and look at the weeks when I'm on call, then the amount of time off that the project will owe me is calculated as this much, points to sell. The service manager says, right, what's the problem? I say, do you not see the issue? For this week where I'm on call, I'm owed 41 hours of time off, but I'm only contracted to work 37 hours per week. With a puzzled frown, the service manager asks, what does that mean? I say, it means that for any week that I'm on call, I'd have to take the entire next week off work, paid for by the project. No work would get done on my work stream. No tickets would be completed, no change requests, and no root cause analyses will be done. We'd only be able to do half the number of tickets that we currently do, and that's already pretty low. The service manager says, um, I say not only that, but the extra few hours over my contracted hours will gradually add up, so that at some point, I won't even be able to be on call for the full week? The service manager, fully awake now, says, Take me through the maths again. Yes, you see, for the previous month, I'd been making sure that I'd done just enough overtime clearing down tickets that the amount of toil I would be owed under the new system would be more than my contracted hours. The service managers couldn't complain about the extra hours as they wanted the ticket queue to go down and the project managers couldn't complain as this was their idea in the first place. The service manager said to leave it with him, and the meeting ended. The aftermath, two weeks later, an email came out from management saying that the toil change was being postponed. I'd like to think that it was all my doing, but it may also have been the fact that many of the support people were talking about getting their names off the various on-call rotas, as it wasn't really worth doing just for time off. Management couldn't just make the toil rates worse either, as they were mandated by the company so they didn't really have a choice but to back off once they were shown the numbers. As for my work stream, the service manager seemed to get the hint as within a few months, the team had grown from just me to four of us. I finally had the time to do preventative maintenance, as well as spending more time talking with the development team. This eventually allowed me to move to a role that was 50-50 support and development, which started me on the path to being a full-time software developer. The on-call gravy train chugged along for another couple of years, until the whole company watered it down from one-fourth to one-tenth of the hours. The project never switched to toil. You gotta love that some brainiac came up with this master plan. They were like, time off in lieu, it makes so much sense. Little did they know, down the line, OP would find that system and find a way to just totally destroy it. I'm kind of curious, would you guys ever be willing to stay on call during a night for only one-tenth of your salary? Basically, that means if you made $15 an hour, each hour that you were on call, you'd make a dollar and a half. Or would you value your nights higher than that and also not having to come in at 4am to fix something? Let me know what you think in the comments down below. And our final story of the day is by Prime Minister Dumbus. Need to resign because of sick leave? Sure. I used to work at a grocery store. 
It was in this smallish beachside community that had a lot of tourists and summer homes. Chose the store because they were all about finding longtime workers and had a little bonus and salary boost for those who finished the probationary period. I had just finished school and planned on taking a gap year, so worked out well in my mind. I started about two months before summer and it was nice. We had a base of co-workers that worked well with each other, mostly middle-aged women and some pensioners. Found out quick the smoke break was for gossiping about others, and sometimes I took part when clients pissed me off or other co-workers. Usual daily things. I was told from day one that the manager did not give a crap about us because she was also the manager at a bigger store. The rule was, if you had someone to cover you, it was fine to do whatever. Some took hour-long breaks, some drank during the job. But I was trying to make a good impression on my first job in that town, so I never did anything like that. Since I didn't have that much of a social life, I always changed shifts when someone needed, came in if someone was sick, even stocked the end shells, which were the shift manager's job. When the pensioners asked in the middle of the day to change assignments because their back hurt from stocking, I was always okay with it, and they were really thankful. One of them, let's call her Lydia, was actually a neighbor and friends with my grandparents, so we used to hang out during lunch breaks, and she even comforted me when I had a panic attack. We used to ride home together on our bikes if we finished together. She kind of took me under her wing and used to call me her work granddaughter. Things kind of took a turn once summer started. Usually, it was about a thousand euros per two registers. Now it was suddenly two thousand per one. They also hired summer workers who were three 16-year-old stock boys, one being the manager's son. Not to be an old-timer cursing the work ethics of children, but they were literally playing some tank games on their phone on the store floor while they had a cart full of stuff that they needed to put out in front of them. Not to mention the not checking of dates, shoving old stuff in the back and new in the front, not checking if the barcode matched the price tags barcode. What really pissed me off was that they didn't flush and peed all over the toilet seat. Management made it my job to clean after them. I was told I couldn't say anything to call them out, so it became my duty every day to clean the toilets, because the cleaner only came in the morning. Then the self-service checkouts came. I was the only cashier there when the builders put them in, so it became my duty to train the others, including management and the two 60-plus somethings. Lydia took it easy. The old man literally refused to learn. So now, every day, either me or Lydia had to be in the store because the old man refused, it was also regular that he came in drunk and drank at work. Also used to hit on me a lot, but I brushed it off. So, a lot on my shoulders. Crap went down after I got my vaccine in the start of August. I had two days off. Figured I wouldn't get sick because I already had had it. It was about a week or so before my probation period ended. So on Monday, I felt terrible and called in. My first time during the whole time I worked there. Called in with the manager. You have to come, Lydia's on vacation, and the only other one who knows is already sick, and you didn't give us proper notice. Try to argue that I have a fever of 39 and feel like crap? No, have to come in. So I get my crap together and go to work. Scrubbing the toilet floor with a fever, dealing with customers with a fever. Yes, I took more breaks. Most coworkers asked me why I look like crap, and I told them I was sick. End the day and go home. Next day I feel even worse. Call in, say, no, I'm putting my foot down, I can't come. First time I took a stand and said I can't destroy my health. They say, fine, you call Lydia and tell her. If she agrees, then you have to take sick leave. Okay, not really my job, but fine. Call her, woke her up, apologized profusely and told her the situation. 
She understood, wished me to feel better, and hung up. I called my doctor and got on sick leave, and then informed my manager, went back to sleep. I got a call a few hours later. It's Lydia. You make everyone's lives so difficult here. Come in and give in your resignation. She isn't the manager, she's just a cashier like me. I asked what the freak, and she told me that they've been talking on the smoke break with all the shift managers and the main manager, and apparently they decided I complained too much about my health and about other workers. I asked why my manager didn't call me. No real explanation. I said if the manager wants to fire me, she'd have to call me herself. No call. So two hours later, I call her myself, ask what's going on. It's true, I need to resign my position. I ask why don't they just terminate me, I'm still on probation. They say can't cause you're on sick leave. Doesn't really make sense. During the probation period they can fire me with no notice, no reasoning. I'm fuming at this time. Fine, I'll come in with my 39 degree fever, got on my bike, pedaled the 3 kilometers, everyone's giving me dirty looks. Manager gives me a filled out paper stating I quit on the day for personal reasons. I ask, so you can't fire me because I'm on sick leave? I need to resign. Manager says yes, it's too much paperwork to fire me, she doesn't have the time. Okay, deal. I take out a blank piece of paper, write my quitting date as two weeks from now to, you know, be polite and give them the proper notice. Manager was fuming and argued I can't do that. I said that's the time frame I need to give according to my contract. She was too lazy to argue more. I signed the sheet and walked out. Called my doctor the next morning and talked about my sick leave. A few days later, the manager calls me. Tomorrow's the big town fair. I'm definitely not sick anymore and can come in tomorrow. They're super short-staffed. I said that I'm on sick leave. She said I can't still be feeling crap and to get into work right now. I told them no, my sick leave ends on day after my resignation date. She got super pissy and said that if I didn't come to work, she'd have to be on the register the whole day. To that, I just coughed fakely and said, well, have fun, and hung up. Spent the two weeks on the beach on paid sick leave, and also my probation lapsed, so they had to pay me the bonus. I think what's most disappointing about this entire story is OP kind of built us up with Lydia here, seeing Lydia considered OP their work granddaughter, and then they had the M. Night Shyamalan twist right at the end where Lydia's like, you make everybody's lives hard, come in and resign. Lydia, why are you being like this? Lydia, why are you being like this? I thought I was your work granddaughter. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of both of these stories, which one of the two was your personal favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.